So would you like to come up, Matt? How long have I known you? How long, well, how long since you've been in leadership here, since you left the Capri's? Um, 11 years. 11 years, yeah. I've had a privilege of actually working with Matt from the beginning, when you really started and you came off being an electrician. And, you know, there's a, a humble integrity in this man that is so rare to see. Somebody who actually has this burning passion for Jesus, but it's, not, it's all not about him, it's about what God is doing in his life. And it is so authentic in, in every aspect, you know. It is a real privilege. No, you mate. And we love thank you. you. Let's just pray for you now. Oh, Jesus, thank you for this man. Thank you that he's, because of what you speak and have done through him, many people in this room's lives have been changed. Many people's lives, directions have been altered. People have known that they matter because of Matt. Lord, I pray that you just honour him now as you pour your life through him and out to us that he'll be more blessed even than we are by those words so bless him in your name amen, amen. thank you okay that's quite an introduction wasn't it so that's good uh, okay so um amos i'd like you to give me a, a word or a phrase that comes to mind when you hear the name amos okay just shout out word or phrase when you hear the name amos what was that three out of four okay yeah good we'll come to that yeah anything else not not <laughs> Who's there? Amos who? Oh, Amosquito. Okay. If anyone's got anything worse than that, I'm going to stop now. Ian, what did you say? That was how you had Amos. Okay. Amos. Okay. Well, it's interesting. I, I wondered if a few people might think Amos. I didn't even know Amos was in the Bible. It's kind of one of those books which, if we're honest, maybe you've not ever read or maybe you've not read in a while at least. Um, and so it's exciting. It really is exciting to be looking at Amos for the next few weeks. Um, I want to start with verse 1 and something I think is really important before we delve into the rest of this book over the next month. So let's look at verse 1. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel. Okay, I'm going to pause it there because I think there's a real danger we could feel quite detached from this message, something that happened over three thousand miles away from where we live around about three thousand years ago this book is completely relevant to us god's people today in fact i don't think relevant really kind of captures it very well relevant sounds a bit like oh i could have a look could be interesting um, but I, I wonder what was the last when was the last time uh, something absolutely grasped hold of you so i saw saw it and thought oh that that is talking to me that's talking to me and I really think that that's what the book of Amos is going to do over the next few weeks. So for, for those of us here who've decided to follow Jesus, uh, we're called to live to his standard. And um, that's not about judgment. We can find verse after verse in the Bible that tells us we don't live in condemnation. We live purely by the grace of God. But God has called us to a right way of living, which brings life and peace and his presence, as well as challenges and sacrifices when we choose to live by it. Let's look at the whole of that verse one. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash was king of Israel. 
Okay, I want to go back in time a little bit. No Doctor Who, no TARDIS or anything, but we're going to go back a bit further back to get some background to where Amos is and the people he's bringing his message to. Israel were God's chosen people for sharing his light to everyone around them. If you like, they were the first missionaries. Their goal, their goal was to point towards God and how living in God's world God's way is the best a human being can do in this life. At one time, they'd been um, captive in Egypt. Literally, they were in slavery. Some words the Bible uses to describe that time are um, they, they, worked, they were worked ruthlessly. Their lives made bitter with hard, cruel service. They languished in misery and suffering, and their spirit broken. Okay, to say that they had a tough time is definitely an understatement. Israel were in slavery. Now God miraculously brought them out of that situation. You might know some of these stories, you might not. He brought 10 plagues on Egypt, then parted the sea for them to cross safely. I wanted to mention this as it's a fairly big deal, isn't it? Those things don't happen every day. We don't see, not even the river in Midsummer Norton High Street getting parted let alone a huge sea. And Israel are meant to remember this. Um, they're meant to remember this and that they made a commitment to God to be his people. And it doesn't take very long for them to begin to forget, it's kind of a, a generation or so, and they start forgetting straight away. And I was thinking about um, Vision Sunday and that sense that God wants to waken the weary, for those of you who heard that message. Are there things which we have forgotten or grown used to or comfortable with so that we lose that fire in our belly for who Jesus is and what he means to us? When that happens, we get a bit weary, don't we? We need God to remind us where we've come from, who he is, and it's just this incredible privilege we have of living in this life with him. Okay, later, Israel were given a land to live in. And they were supposed to be a light to everyone around them, but many were drawn into what other nations were doing. They decided that they wanted a king, like all the other nations had a king. And, and God said, that's not actually a great idea. Uh, but they insisted on it. So God gave them kings. And guess what? The kings turned out to be very human. And generally, they messed things up. Okay, this is a very brief synopsis of some of the Old Testament. Okay. Generally, they messed things up and didn't choose to remember what God had called them to be. This was in spite of various people coming along, people like Amos, who God called to take great risks, risk their lives, to try to remind these people of what they've been called to. So that almost gets us to where Amos fits in, okay? But importantly, and maybe unsurprisingly, there is this division between the people and the kingdom split into two monarchies with Jeroboam, king of Israel, in the north, and Rehoboam, king of Judah, down in the south. Jeroboam, in the northern kingdom, built these two temples, trying to rival Solomon's in Jerusalem. He had two golden calves built, and one placed in each temple. And this was despite God saying, don't go building idols, don't go worshipping idols instead of me, I am your God. Gradually, more and more idols accumulated. People were worshipping these idols. There's a god of Asherah, who's the god of sex, a god of, god of war called Anat, 
and Baal, who's the god of the weather. And you can just think how messy, difficult this got when people were worshipping idols dedicated to war and to sex. Good news, okay? We're halfway through verse 1 in the book of Amos. Uh, don't panic, okay? We're, this morning, we're mainly trying to set the scene for good stuff that's going to come in the following weeks. So what do we know about Amos as a person? First one describes him as a shepherd. And it's only later in chapter 7 we find out he also looked after sycamore fig trees, which made me chuckle a bit because I was thinking, I can't imagine that's really a job. How much work does it take to look after a fig tree and tend it? Maybe Neil Ross would disagree with me, he's not here. Um, Commentaries aren't actually 100% clear on what it was Amos actually did. But something which I really like, which I think is important, is that it seems Amos was doing okay for himself. He wasn't super wealthy. He wasn't poor. He was just doing all right, possibly looking after various animals. Maybe the figs that he was gathering were actually a feed for the animals. But whatever, it's interesting we find later on in chapter 7, at a time when Amos actually has to defend himself, defend what he's doing. He says, um, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But... The Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people, Israel. Now, Dave um, Kingswood might pick up on this a bit more in a few weeks, but it's worth having in mind that while Amos was doing fine in life, just doing all right, God had another, a kind of extra purpose for him. We never get to find out what actually becomes of Amos after all the stuff um, that's recorded here. I really quite like the idea of him just going back to doing all right, which actually is quite reasonable to think he might have done. It's clear that he was not a professional prophet, as there were people around then who were professional prophets. It was a thing. God had just given him a task to do, and he chose to get on with it. Now, I hope that's something we can all relate to. Um, I feel there's times when I don't always know what I'm doing, believe it or not. I do get imposter syndrome, like I imagine uh, quite a few of us in here do from time to time. And maybe that's part of what it feels like to follow God and to trust God. I'm really not assuming that everybody in this room is doing fine like Amos was, doing all right, because um, it's great to be part of a church family, actually, through all the difficulties, through all the ups and downs, we go through those things together. But hopefully we can relate, get the idea of what it is to be doing all right, doing okay in life, serving God in our everyday, which is what Amos seemed to have been doing until God said to him, Oi, there's something I need you to do. Just want us to pause for a moment and consider what else might God be calling you to, even if it's only a bit like Amos for a short time. Not suggesting it has to be delivering a message of um, judgment to Radstock or Colford or any other local town, but maybe a short term mission, mission trip to another country or take the youth away for a week or maybe to get really stuck into Enfest later this year, or could be volunteering at a charity shop. I love that Amos just seems completely fine with, I was doing all right, but God needed me, so I'm in. Rachel Dawson, I'm gonna grab you for a second and just come and share something you, you shared this morning in the prayer time. 
This was um, a word, God speaking to a group of Christians who want to take risks. Um, so I'll just read it as is, um, as I recorded it that day. But I'd like you to close your eyes and have the image of an elephant. So if you can just imagine an elephant, think about that for a moment. Think about what an adult elephant looks like. And Jesus says, come with me. I'll take you places you've never been. You may be fearful, so come with me. I invite you to come. Climb on, hold on to me. Hold on to my muscular, thick, warm neck. Hold me close. I'm with you. I'll always be with you. We will go to places you've not dreamed of yet. Come, come with me. Let your fear be driven away by my warmth and love and strength. Let me take you and your people to new places together. I invite you to come. Just like you to turn to the person next to you for a moment and say, what else might God be calling you to? Okay? Just turn to someone next to you. Don't look too embarrassed. You might not know them. It's fine. You haven't got to wait for the answer. Just what else might God be calling you to? No, you don't have to answer it. Just ask the question. Okay, that should be about it. That was only a short question, wasn't it? Okay? I invite you, I encourage you, get hold of that picture Rachel shared. What a brilliant picture, isn't it, of what God can do, his power. And um, maybe carry on that conversation over a coffee later on. Maybe if you go to the Cheshire Homes tonight or um, if you encounter, carry on that conversation with someone. Don't let that slip of God calling you to do something. If he's got something beyond your normal, beyond our good every day. You know, our every days can be pretty good, can't they? But God might have something extra for you to do. Okay, now for those of you um, that like times and dates, you may have noticed Amos mentions an earthquake in there in that verse 1. And this is also mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. Zechariah 14 um, mentions it. And it's a bit of a time stamp on things. And it's known to have taken place around 760 BC. So that's just for the nerdy people here who kind of wanted to know something like that. But what's going on around him at this time? Now, Israel could be defined by four important factors. I've already mentioned national disunity, with the two kingdoms being, um, being formed. It was also a time of um, real military superiority. Um, through military successes, Israel's border had expanded in the north and in the south, and the people were experiencing a time of strong and national security. On top of that, even though Judah was less formidable than Israel, under King Uzziah's leadership, it experienced these military successes. Kind of think like the US and China, maybe. These two big, incredibly powerful nations. It was also a time of economic prosperity for both Israel and Judah. Their economies were flourishing as new opportunities for trade opened up in all kinds of directions. And we're going to see a lot of evidence of, of, of this through the book of Amos. Um, just a couple of examples. In chapter 3, it talks about um, people who adorned their houses with ivory. This sounds nice. Had both a winter house and a summer house. 
In fact, they become so rich, off the back of slavery, by the way, which we'll look at more in weeks to come, they become so rich, rich that their wives were said to lie on beds inlaid with ivory, dining on choice lambs, strumming away on their harps like David, drinking wine by the bowlful, and using the finest lotions. Wow, I felt like I should have got somebody to act that one out. Um, you get the picture, don't you? This wealth was so great that together with military success, they experienced um, many, sorry, <laughs> many would have believed that this was a sign of God's favor. Okay, we're going to get a bit geeky again for a minute. Um, this conclusion about God's favor being on them, um, it would have come from a naive understanding of what theologians call retribution principle. Uh, the idea is that when someone obeys God, he will bless them. But when they disobey God, he will curse or punish them. Now, ultimately, God will bless those who obey him, and he will judge those who disobey him. However, God's blessing is um, no more a sure sign of his pleasure than an individual experiencing difficulty is necessarily a sign of God's displeasure in their lives. And there's loads of examples in scripture to show this, and, and Jesus challenged this principle when he saw a man uh, who was born blind, um, <laughs> who was born blind, he said born blind at birth, that doesn't work. A man who was born blind, this, the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, his, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happens that the works of God might be displayed in him. The truth is we live in a world uh, where there's spiritual battles going on. That very fact alone means that sometimes bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. That is the truth. Now, Israel were living in belief that they were God's chosen people, his mouthpiece, and what they said went. And yet, we're going to see that they'd replace sincere spirituality with insincere religiosity that justified them getting rich off the pain of those around them who were getting poorer and whose image of the God of Israel was just getting worse and worse. The fourth important factor defining the time was religious activity. Amos was confronting a people who had developed a syncretistic approach to religion. This means it was kind of a mixture of pagan idolatry alongside rituals and theological concepts taken from God's word. As well as worshipping idols, they were zealous in offering up worship to God with feasts, with worship songs, and observing Sabbaths. But... It was all mixed with idol worship of the gods who would justify their disregard for the poor and their own sinfulness. Today, we'd call them hypocrites. Now, do any of these things sound plausible, relevant today? Can people who call themselves Christians do these things? Do we see it anywhere in our world? Um, sadly, the answer is a clear yes. Many of the verses we're going to be looking at today and over the coming weeks, uh, we're going to see parallels to our society and also shock, horror, maybe some which relate in our own lives too. Things where we say, ah, oh, yeah, that's me. 
Now, with all of that setting the scene, maybe we can begin to imagine what it was like for Amos. This bloke who was doing all right, like I said, he's doing okay. He was asked to travel from the security of his home and his work down in Judah about 40 miles to Israel to go and give God's verdict on them. Israel, Israel, who remember, felt they were a cut above Judah and believed they were living in God's blessing and his security. Let's jump to what it must have looked like, okay? Picture the people coming out to the square to listen to him, okay? You're one of those people. We're going to come out and have a little listen to Amos. Then Amos stands up speaking, The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. Right, I think that's going to get your attention, isn't it? If someone says that at the start of their talk, that's got you. Then Amos begins to speak judgment against the nations surrounding Israel. Each one of these judgments begins with a phrase, somebody mentioned this, for the three sins of wherever, even for four, I will not relent. Now this was Bible language, a way of saying for the numerous evil things you've done, especially the one I'm going to be pointing out to you. Okay, so he's saying, okay, I'm going to be pointing some things out to you. And that's repeated for each nation, okay? And we're not going to read a lot of it this morning, partly due to time, but also because some of it is truly horrific, okay? Do not sit there and read it with your four-year-old or five-year-old unless you're ready for some questions, but have a good read for yourself. Um, if you're a visual thinker like me, it's actually um, really difficult to read. The first six prophecies all specify what we'd recognize now as war crimes. Amos is saying, enough, God is bringing your crimes to an end. Now, I thought this summary that I came across, so we don't have to read it all, is just brilliant. Amos was really bold in his denouncement of the practices of these nations, okay? And through him, God declared his opposition to acts of cruelty perpetrated against his creation, no matter the ethnic background. So this is a summary. Inhumane tortures inflict inflicted upon the downtrodden, the displacement and disenfranchisement of whole communities, even when this meant the breaking of treaties. The pursuit of defeated enemies past the point of political expediency or necessity. Genocidal intent. Ensuring future generations would not be born to oppose such practices, nor allowing cultural, political, or social remembrances of what came before. It's brutal, isn't it? I don't know if you're getting a feel for it from those things. But doesn't it speak to you a bit about today? Some of the things we see going on in our world, pretty relevant. Okay, now at this point, if you're one of the Israelites sitting there listening to Amos, the fact is you're actually probably, probably thinking, yes, this is brilliant. Because each of those nations which Amos is pointing out, they're kind of your enemies, they've got things against you. And um, actually to hear Amos saying, I'm pointing out some bad things against them. That is fantastic news for you. Now, you might know that seven in ancient times was seen as a number of completeness. You might not have heard that before, but that's, that's a thing in the Bible. So if you've been listening, sitting there, you'd be rubbing your hands, waiting for the final prophecy. Amos has given six of them, and you're thinking, yes, bring it on. Tell us number seven. Number seven is Judah. 
that place that you split from, you left them because they are no good and you want your own kingdom. And Amos says in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees. Because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors follows. Yes, we knew it. Fantastic. That kingdom we left behind, they are so sinful. They are so bad. That's why we left them. We are so good. That's kind of what you'd be feeling a little bit at this point. And then just breaking from the norm, really upsetting the system, adding gravity to his message. There's this one extra final prophecy. What? Eight? This is never eight. It's seven. If we look at the map, you can see that Israel is pretty much surrounded by the nations who have already been condemned. The listeners would have this realization that God, rather than letting them point the finger outwards to the people around them, is actually pointing the finger in for this message. God's greatest condemnation is set for them. Israel get 11 verses in, this, uh, in these passages, whereas the other nations get two or three verses. Here's just a taste of what God says to Israel, the things that have broken God's heart to see his people reduce themselves to. A few verses from chapter 2. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Let's be honest again. This could be referring to any high street in the country if we're really willing to dig in and see where maybe our clothes come from or our gadgets or even our food. It's so relevant to us now. Then God gets to his assessment, the what he will do. Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away, and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. I don't know if any of you have ever been winded, if you're sporty or you've fallen over, but you know that feeling you get when you just feel sick in your stomach? I'm pretty sure that that's what Amos's listeners would have felt. This is an incredible sucker punch, which would knock the wind out of anyone. As the reality sinks in, oh, this is about me. And that is where we're headed with the book of Amos. A God who so loves people that when his people abuse others, mix their worship of him with the worship of idols, says, enough. I want to echo what I said near the start. Jesus sets a standard we want to live by, to be the most alive, the most human we can be. He also provides the way in which we can do it as we follow him, as we join him in what he is doing in the world, not to use or abuse and get what we want from it but to love deeply and point to the God we know. To do it needs the willingness to say, God, I'm not going to just look over there at other people, at what they're getting wrong. 
I want you to show me in my life where I'm not reflecting you. Nobody should leave the day feeling condemned. I said that at the start. It's okay, though, to feel convicted when it's God convicting us, when he's just showing us something. His heart has always been for people to turn to him. That was the goal of sending prophets. That was the goal of sending Amos. So I encourage you, with a deep sense of trust, rather than judging ourselves against people around us, we get to say what the psalmist David said. I just want to sit with these words for a few moments. Are we ready to say this this morning? Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I'm just going to pray. Lord, we thank you so much that some of the things which we see in the world, which we think are unfair, and we might say, why? Lord, you are so angry about them. Yeah, you're so hurt. And Lord, you do say, I'm going to do something about it. And Lord, we pray that we'd be honest with you as we look at that psalm, those few verses, Lord. Would you just show us in a loving way that you do it? Anything which we need to change. Anything we need to bring to you. Amen.